0: And dude, at the right time, and the right time is now for me to lose the Sammy Lee to my Big Sam, the Chris Sutton to my Alan Shearer, and the sexy mad dog Jason Tindall to my Eddie Howe, as Jack Atkins, Clive F., as he's known in some circles. He's not feeling too well this week. He hasn't been working in terms of on screen and podcasts and all that kind of stuff. So let him sit down in his old man's chair, let him suck on an old man's words original and get himself back to health as quickly as possible. Clive, you're in me thoughts. So we're riding solo like Jason Derulo today on the Hold and Give Football podcast. Let's see how this one goes. But always remember, you've got to hold and give and do it at the right time. And the right time is now to have a look at Clive F's On This Day He Peas Freely, what happened on this day in football history. We're sat here recording this nonsense on October the twenty fifth, twenty twenty three, and did you know that on this day, these notes provided to me by the illustrious Clive F. So thank you, Clive F. Very much. So in nineteen sixty one, England beat Portugal two 0 to qualify for the nineteen sixty two World Cup. Burnley's John Connolly and Ray Pointer were the scorers. You don't get m- much more old fashioned names than Ray Pointer. Uh, this would be England's last qualifier for eleven years, as they hosted in 62 and qualified in Mexico 70 of course as the reigning champions it's a solid start I assume Bobby Charlton rest in peace more on that a little bit later might have been involved in this game I'm not sure yet. he made his England debut I don't even know why I mentioned him but it's nice to see the England national team getting a win over a Portugal side that might have just included Eusebio but once again I don't know when his international career started so I might be talking utter bollocks in 1981 though on October the 25th, uh, former Manchester City Chelsea QPR, New York Red Bulls and Phoenix Rising FC winger, Sean Wright Phillips was born. He was a fantastic footballer. He might not have been at the very pinnacle of the game in terms of his level. When he went to Chelsea, it didn't quite happen for him. He had some memorable moments. I seem to recall one goal he scored away at Upton Park, which was a bit of a swazzer, a bit of a banger. But watching him go down the wing, especially for Manchester City over his two spells. It was scintillating stuff. I remember being at St James's Park for an England international close to his like breakthrough times as a a senior England international and he scored a wonderful goal hard and low across the goal we had those like hexagonal nets at St James's Park back then and sometimes you would know this if you went to the riverside back in the noughties as well because they had the same kind of netting when the ball hit a certain part of the net it would like twist up into the net and I would get a warm and fizzing sensation behind my penis that's how satisfying it was to watch but happy birthday to sean wright phillips who is now old and we're all gonna be dead soon happy holding give everybody in 1997 man united would absolutely victimize clive has written down here barnsley 7-0 in the premier league this was barnsley's first and uh so far only season in the top flight andy cole he scored a hat-trick ryan giggs got two paul Scholes and even carol Paboski. On the score sheet there, they did it a few times in the 90s, didn't they? Manchester United, twatting teams by 6-7. I don't know if they got an 8, but they definitely got a 9 against Ipswich, didn't they? We all remember that one, don't we, at the start of the middle part of the 90s? Maybe 93-94, I want to say off the top of my head. They were good back then, and it made everybody else absolutely sick. We go from Clive F's on this day, he peace freely, to the Champions League headlines from last night this is a wednesday morning when i'm sat here recording this illustrious bollocks there was games last night one of which i reacted to right here on this very youtube channel which is on demand if you want to go and watch the highlights the most important parts of the game i'm sure they're easy to seek out because youtube's got a lovely scrubbing option Ooh, ooh, ooh. Well, you can see the clock that's in the top corner of the screen and find the right minute. Anyway, Arsenal got a good win in Sevilla last night. Uh, That was the game that we reacted to here on Hold and Give last night. Arsenal, I think just over the course of the 90 minutes, edged the game as a whole. But Sevilla really did come on second, uh, like in the second half, really, really strong. Martinelli got the goal, a breakaway goal in the first half. And a lovely Swazza. From Gabriel Jesus, Jesus Navas was backing off, backing off, backing off. I feel like I'm rapping now. Backing off, backing off, backing off, backing off. Yay! Right into his own box, which allowed Jesus on the sort of left-hand side of the area to go inside the box. Cut inside on his right and swaza bender right into the far corner. But I tell you what, there was a Sumare in the middle of the park in the first half. He was in, on loan and Leicester City fans might want to close your ears right now because he's on loan from Leicester City. The team who got relegated somehow from the Premier league last season and in the first half that is one of the best midfield displays i've seen in such a long time he absolutely bossed jorginho rice and odegaard in the middle of that park so shout out to sumari Uh, he had a fantastic game but as i say Uh, Arsenal just about edged it on the 90 minutes. But I think a lot of things that will be said coming out of the game, I've not really read much of the media coverage this morning, has got to be about David Ray because there was multiple occasions last night where his distribution was putting Arsenal into many, many issues like it was at the weekend at certain points. There was one point in the second half as well where Sevilla are pushing and pushing and pushing and looking for that second goal. The equaliser it would have been on the night where someone whips a ball into the box and then somehow... Rea is diving forwards, like, towards, like, his body's facing basically towards the edge of his own six-yard box, and he basically volleyballs it over the top of his own bar, but he doesn't mean to. He just He's going for a Superman punch. He's definitely hoping that ball ricochets off his fist and goes up the park, but no, it hits the wrong part of his fist and just spoons over the bar. It's a save. Well, it's not even a save, is it? It's a motion that could have resulted in an own goal. It just sort of landed just just the other side of the crossbar on the top of the Arsenal net. And it was moments like that all night long. He just looked really shaky. Uh, but thankfully for him and for Arsenal, Sevilla's boxes into the box were largely quite poor last night. So he had a lot of like unchallenged claims to come and make inside the box. But those moments, I was saying it on the stream last night, David Rea has done a lot more wrong this season since the start of August, whenever the it was when the season started, than Aaron Ramsdale did. And Aaron Ramsdale got dropped. Now, Obviously, in the press, I don't know if he's been telling the keepers a different thing behind the scenes. Mikel Arteta has been saying, oh, we've got two number ones here at Arsenal. I'm a revolutionary. I'm Mikel Arteta. But it's clear for all to see, just because Rea has made more, not necessarily goal-conceding mistakes, but he's made a lot more unsettling fall of defence kind of mistakes, misplaced passes, little ricochets and all that kind of stuff. He's made more of that than Aaron Ramsdale ever did and Ramsdale got dropped and Rea has not. So the message that's sending to Aaron Ramsdale, unless it's a different one behind the scenes, as I say, I don't play for Arsenal. I don't know what's going on. It just seems really weird what Mikel Arteta is doing. If it truly was two number ones for Arsenal, I firmly believe right now, as we're sat here, Aaron Ramsdale will be playing on Saturday because David Rea is not looking very, very convincing at all. Anyway, we'll see what happens at the weekend when no doubt Aaron Ramsdale is on the bench doing his best impersonation of a seal. well done, David Raya. I don't know why everyone's from Yorkshire, but there we go. Alright, and is anyone else finding it out? Also last night in the Champions League, is anyone else finding it quite funny how the saviours of Manchester United season as we're sat here towards the end of October have been Scott McTominay with a couple of crucial goals in recent times, and now Harry McTominay Maguire, who got the winning goal last night in their 1-0 win against Copenhagen. It was a lovely stooping header at the far post after he stole a run on his man. I was very happy to see Harry Maguire getting a goal, getting a good reception. It was just nice to see because I'm an England fan and when Harry Maguire plays for England, he never lets England down. Yes, I understand the argument saying, well, he doesn't really play too much for Manchester United there for his form. It can't really deserve a call up to the national team but there's no one outside of the players who are in the squad already who is really pushing Harry Maguire in terms of his place in the squad, he never lets us down, I was just happy to see him get a match winning goal last night after all the bollocks he has to put up with on the social medias and whatnot. and his man making it worse for him, shut up man I can deal with this on my own, no doubt he probably said to her anyway, Andre Onana, much maligned of course, made a fantastic stretching save in the first half I think it was, it was a wonderful Flying save, and then of course, he was the other headline grabber last night with a last minute penalty save to his left hand side. Again, he's been shaking his houses, we all know this, but it feels like he's growing game on game on game. When he was making those mistakes, it was a game I watched recently. I think it was the one at home where McTominay scored the two goals against Brentford, I think it was. Was it? I can't remember. My mind's gone blank. But he made a couple of decent saves there after a little bit of a shaky goal that he conceded. I think it was against Brentford at Old Trafford. And now it just feels like he's really fighting his foot and getting better, as I say. Game on game on game. He is a quality goalkeeper. We all know that. In the season predictions on this channel, I was sat here while going, well, Manchester United's got to finish at least third. They finished third last year. They got the golden and glove for their goalkeeper. There's no doubt about it, everybody. Andre Onana is a definite step up up on David De Gea. So thankfully, he's starting to prove that right, but very slowly indeed. And elsewhere in the main headlines from the Champions League last night, Ruud van Bellingham. I'm going to call him because the man is as prolific, if not more prolific, than Ruud van Nistelrooy. He scored once again for Real Madrid as they got past Braga in the mountains of Portugal. It's on the edge of the box for Bellingham. He's got time to pick his spot because he's the kind of player who has this magic ability to be able to make the time for himself when other players like, I don't know, Matt Ritchie's in me head. I don't know why. (laughs) Might be a bit harsh on Matt Ritchie, but, you know, players who aren't at the top level, they wouldn't have been able to find the time on the edge of the box for Somehow Bellingham does, and he controls it into the far corner. A lovely finish there. He continues to take the piss for Madrid, who had two goals disallowed uh, for offside last night, one of which was very tight indeed. But Bellingham now, in all competitions, in the first 12 games that he's played for Real Madrid, has got 11 goals. 12 played, 11 scored life is not fair how some people just have it all and if he continues I know I'm not the first person to say it I won't be the last person to say it but Jude Bellingham will be one of the all-time greats if he keeps this up he's unbelievable his touch his power his pace his finishing his football arrogance I'm stealing that phrase from somebody hopefully it's not someone who is pretentious as Gordon Ramsay or Jake Humphrey we all saw that clip on the social media this week didn't we if you have a problem in your life everybody just in case you didn't see the clip I'm talking about just sell your Porsche so when you sell your Porsche that will allow you to go and buy a flat what a pair of knobheads they are especially Jake Humphrey even though in his own mind he invented the podcast so Jake thank you for inventing podcasts when you definitely did not invent podcasts anyway Jude Bellingham it's wonderful to see we go from the Champions League headlines to the headlines from Premier League game week nine there's only one place to start it was Chelsea Desmond 2-2 Arsenal that makes no sense it's like a full name. It's Chelsea, Desmond, 2-2 Arsenal. Uh, Pochettino had never lost a home league game against the Arsenal, who might be guilty of walking the ball into the back of the net. We all know how it goes. Uh, they need to change the handball, though. everyone knows this now. I know the arm is in an unnatural position for attempting the header. This is in the first half, but he's less than a yard away from Mudrick. This is Saliba. Of course, Saliba sort of steals in front of him. He gets a nick on the header. Saliba is basically touching Mudrick when the, comp- uh, the comp- contact, excuse me, is made by Mudrick and it just ricochets off his arm. As a human being, how are you meant to jump without your arms going slightly in the air there needs to be common sense approved, like sort of applied, sorry and approved Apply, approve this rule and apply common sense to heading and handballs in the box because you can't give a handball for a handball like that when you're saying it's not a natural position but for every single human being if you try and jump right now you've got to get your arms to give yourself a bit of thrust we all know this, I know there's a TikTok trend going around at the moment, We have to try and jump without bending your knees, that's where football going to be in 10 to 15 years time when players are going to be attempting headers the way the rules are going inside the box for a handball. What is Saliba supposed to do differently there? And on top of that, to go back to Mudrik once again, I don't care what anybody says, he shanks that cross. That is not a shot. Yes, Rhea is maybe a little bit advanced off his line but there's absolutely no chance in hell that Mudrik has meant to put that over his head into the far corner. Yes, he might take a couple of before the ball gets to him, I think. But when he gets the ball at his feet, he's only looking inside the box. Then he puts the cross in and it goes right over the goalkeeper's head. When you looks in, it's in. When you're not looks not in, you are Mikhailo Mudrik from the first nine months of his Chelsea career, where he did absolutely nothing. Going back to David Rea, though, there was more mistakes. There was the pass out that was intercepted by Cole Palmer in the second half. Again, another mistake that Aaron Ramsdale didn't make before he was dropped is David Ray going to get dropped off the back of mistakes like that? What he was doing against Sevilla midweek as well I don't know. There was also of course a little bit of an Onana moment for Robert Sanchez in the Chelsea goal as he clatters Gabriel Jesus while getting nowhere near the ball. We're all screaming it's a penalty but to look at the silver lining on this cloud that is the incompetency of referees in this country, at least the referees are consistently being bad at their job. They didn't give that Onana one at the start of the season against Wolves when they should have done that and they didn't give this one against Sanchez when they should have given it as well. At least they're consistently crap, which is a horrible thing to say. I think we should be getting the best officials from around Europe now to come and referee our game because it's clearly the case that the domestic referees are nowhere near up to scratch maybe outside of Michael Oliver but even he has his own detractors as well. We get all the best players from around the world, let's get the best referees on the money. We can afford the money we all know how much referees make in the game as far as I'm aware because I've seen a few documents in my time. It's around about eighty to £100,000 a year then there's bonuses on top of that or per season I should say and I have seen official documents (laughs) Um, I'm not going to say who showed me them but I have seen them and it, they did appear to be legit so there's no reason why the Premier League and all the money the Premier League has can't spend more on referees to attract the best from around the world to make our domestic game even better than it already is Sanchez then again a horrible pass out let's see San, uh, sorry, uh, Rice Swazit in the far corner a wonderful finish from him before Trossard comes off the bench uh, to sort of steal in at the back post make it a lovely finish there and a lovely uh, sorry to make a Desmond and a lovely finish as well on. It was very quick he was running at, how he controlled it to keep it down, put it in the right place just past Sanchez. It was a wonderful finish and a wonderful game of football, I thought, very much Was it a fair result, or did Chelsea do a bit better? I've got to be honest, when I was in the pub watching this, I was getting drunk. I was getting drunk. Uh, So so my outlook on that game might not be the best, but it felt like a fantastic game. Maybe it did feel like a uh, a fair result when I was in the pub. I don't know if I'm talking sense there. Let me know how much you disagree in a comment section near you. Liverpool 2, Everton 0. Ashley Young went from hero to zero in very quick fashion in the first half. at Anfield, a wonderful goal-saving tackle on a on Diaz from Liverpool of course when he look certain to put it in the back of the net then a yellow for a foul on Diaz and then he's gone he's got a case of the Jotas from that game at uh, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium very recently he's on a yellow card he knows he's on a yellow card he knows he can't make tackles like he does for the second yellow card it's a deserved red card for Ashley Young and that was the only deserved red card in the entire game lol Bazinga no it was not Canate for everybody's money I think he was a working pair of eyes even if Clive F was here the biggest red in the world as he likes to say with that Scouse accent that I impersonate wonderfully he would even accept it was a red card Everton on the counter he's checked Beto in the stomach he's brought him down it's a cynical foul it's a yellow card in any era of the modern game even Jurgen Klopp knew it was a red card because he took him off straight after because he saw how much of a shaky house A shaky house. A not noble horse that Canate was being in that moment there. So that should have been a red card. You've got to feel sorry for the Ev. Would it have changed the game? It might have made it a bit more even. Liverpool fully deserved to win, but I think they fully deserved to win before the red card, before Ashley Young's red card as well. It looked like it was going to go Liverpool's way, no matter what was going on at Anfield. And we spoke about Saliba's handball before, how he goes for a header, very close to a ricochet. sort of hits him on the hand. The opposite of that is what Michael Keane did for the Liverpool penalty i know he's relatively close to the ball but he's got his arm outstretched when it doesn't need to be outstretched he's basically standing up he's trying to keep his balance we all see defenders in the world tuck their arms behind their back if he does that and it hits his arm it's not a penalty his arm's a long way from his body i think that is a definite penalty i don't know why he's approaching the ball like that so of course to the joy, sorry about that, but that was a bit uh, brutal on the old microphone there. To the joy of millions around the world, he probably transferred Mo Salah in. I didn't do that because I'm an idiot. He scored that penalty, then he got the second goal on the break, and it was just a routine win by and large for Liverpool, I thought. But yes, Canate should have been sent off. It's very easy for referees to give the away player a red card at a big ground like Anfield, but it's very hard for the referees, it would appear, to give a red card for the home player in a Merseyside derby at a big stadium like Anfield field. The referee absolutely bottled it. Manchester City 2, Brighton and Hove Albion 1. There was two teams taking on Manchester City here, yet still Manchester City went back to the top of the table for the time being before uh, the, the Spurs game on Monday. Uh, there were two goal difference clear of Arsenal at the top, well, after the, 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 the full time of the game. Uh, Alvarez opened the scoring with a, a sort of scuffer after some nice work from Jeremy Doku down the left. He sort of uh, hit it off one foot on the other foot, which caused a little bit a ricochet, wrong foot of the goalkeeper in it went high into the net, that was from Julian Alvarez of course and then Haaland with a lovely finish from outside the area just on the left foot, Kaboom Lebash into the bottom corner after uh, Baleba, I think he was called, gave the ball away with a short pass, it feels like Harland hasn't really been scoring as much as he did last season but let, you, let me remind you right now that was his ninth goal of the season and it feels like he hasn't scored from the uh, since the opening day of the season, uh, just based off how some people talk about how he Doing at the moment. He is amazing. Then we had Ansu Fati getting a goal back after a Kanji pokes the ball straight to him in the box after a Brighton counter-attack. And the ref didn't bottle it at Manchester City with a kanji giving a red card after a pretty similar incident to that of Kanate at Anfield at the sit on the same afternoon, of course. Fair play to the referee for not bottle it. Big ground like the Etihad, had. You gotta have a set of bollocks. Just do it. I can't believe Conate got away with it. But Manchester City looked like deserved to win the game on the afternoon. They're keeping the title race very interesting indeed. Losing games at the right time, winning games at the right time, it looks like at the moment. It's a three horse race. And who would have thought that at the start of the season, given what Spurs were going through before we even kicked the ball? Sheffield United won. Manchester United two. I can't remember most of this game because at this point on Saturday. I was absolutely sloshed. I'm even sloshed now. I can't even talk. McTominay with a little scuffed volley to open the score. I'm not sure how that went in, but it did go in, so fair enough. Then there was a stone wall penalty for Sheffield United. You can't have your arm out like that for that long when a cross is coming into the box from so far away. It was very much like Michael Keane, the penalty Manchester United conceded here with Ollie McBurney sticking it away in off the beans. It was a lovely penalty. You don't save those, no matter who's in the goal what a strike it was in off the beans on toast and then it felt like manchester united just gradually got more and more and more on top of sheffield united marcus rashford almost sneaking a shot on at the far post we had amrabat hitting the denver bar fernandez going close but then the most unlikely goal scorer outside of andre onano just about diego dallo with a bender is that his name diego i might just made that up i'm too used to seeing dallo Derek Dallow will go with with the bender um, it was uh, obviously against Premier League Wes as Paolo Di Canio called Wes Fathering back in the day when he played for Swindon Town but two goalkeepers well no I'm going to take that back halfway through saying it I reckon Wes will feel like he could have done better Premier League Wes definitely got a hand or two to that shot to sort of tip it onto the underside of the Denver bar to put it in the back of the net but fair play to a right back who doesn't score goals for trying a shot from that far out, but that was the difference between Sheffield United and Manchester United. As Man United continue to grind out these results, the jammy, jammy bastards. Other football headlines from the week: Newcastle manager Eddie Howe says he expects Sandro Tonali to be available for tonight, as we am sat here, the Champions League home game against Borussia Dortmund. Uh, as we're still sat here, it hasn't been confirmed. He's awaiting news of investigations into alleged betting offences, for which he could face a lengthy ban. I've seen reports saying it's going to be 10 months. Uh, sorry, I got an update from Craig Hope just before I sat down here, who is a journalist who covers Newcastle United. It's going to be a 10-month ban, which has been agreed, but the details of this ban are still being ratified. It looks like his season is over, and also he's going to miss the Euros for Italy because of this 10-month ban, but crucially, according to Craig Hope, just before I sat down to do this podcast again, so apologies if there has been an update. Tonali and Newcastle will be able to work together, like Ivan Tony, as part of his ban wasn't allowed to go into training for Brentford for the longest Time before being allowed to sort of go and work with the under 23s, but Sandro Tonali it looks like will be able to train. With Newcastle during his ten-month suspension, but we're still waiting for that to be confirmed. I was in the ground for Newcastle's 4 0 win over Crystal Palace on Saturday, and the reaction he got because the stories have come out about this being an addiction. I've watched a lot. I think we've all seen the the stuff Paul Merson has done, has done sorry done to highlight the issue that is an addiction to gambling, an addiction to betting. I think it's opened a lot of people's eyes. It's certainly opened mine because you know before I saw the stuff that Paul Merson was speaking about and the stuff he's gone through over the course of his football career shout out a pie face as well off the old fifa twitch streams um when you would see someone getting punished for gambling you just think, oh, it's, it's an idiot with too much money who's got nothing to do with their spare time better than to try and just waste their money because they don't care, do they? Money means nothing to you when you're Premier League football, you've got that much of it but that's just not the case, so if it is a legitimate thing that Tonali's going through, uh, a horrible sort of addiction to betting, there was reports and interviews with people who knew Tonali when he was young where he showed these patterns of behaviour, uh, sort of being addicted to betting, so hopefully he gets himself right, he's certainly got the support of every single Newcastle United fan, the app, the uh, ovation he got when he came on. When Even when he came to warm out, was absolutely spine-tingling. It was wonderful to see. He's been uh, withdrawn from Italy's training camp, of course, just to you know, flesh out the picture. And uh, Zaniolo from Aston Villa was also withdrawn from Italy's squad as well for the games against Malta and England. Um, he joined Newcastle in July for £55 million from Milan. A lot of eyebrows were caught, sort of raised at the time thinking, how have Newcastle signed AC Milan's captain after AC Milan not only won the league not too long ago, but also got to the semi-finals of the Champions League, which leads me to believe maybe there's a chance that AC Milan knew and they thought, well... We know what's going to happen soon. We might as well get him off the books again. This is just me speculating. I don't know any of this for fact. If that is the case, that's a shimmer of hope for Newcastle to get something there because that's just not morally right, is it? It's weird. and it's, I know there'll be people going, well, oh, Newcastle fans speak about morally rightness and all that sort of stuff when you've got the owners that you've got. But, you know, this is the isolated situation I'm talking about here. Um, so leave those comments alone. I know what the issues are. You don't need to tell me. I've heard them a million times now. But anyway, uh, on Tuesday, just to add more to this story, Juventus midfielder Niccolò Fagioli uh, was given a seven-month suspension by the Italian Football Federation for breaching betting rules. It's sort of a similar thing to what Tonali's going through as well. Fagioli had five months of a one-year ban suspended and was fined €12,500, which is around £10,800. And he also agreed to a therapy plan of at least six months to tackle his gambling problem. And I've seen also a lot of people compare how Brentford dealt with Ivan Tony compared to how Newcastle... I guess have been allowed to deal with tonali to a certain extent because of the ban not being sort of uh, finalized like as quickly as Tony's was because there was that picture of Tony where he's just sort of stood in the tunnel in the, during the first game after his ban was announced in the Newcastle, you know, letting tonali go around the pitch and stuff it's not Newcastle. Newcastle's fault that the bans have been handled in different ways I'm sure that if Brentford had that time again and news broke about Tony's suspension before it actually happened um, they would have done something similar because that's the sort of thing football clubs do they're human beings at the end of the day and t- Tony and Tonali for me there's no difference there they've clearly both got an issue even though I think Tony was trying to say he was taking the flak for somebody else during that interview with that lad off Dragon's Den who I've forgotten the name of I apologise the, uh, the Diary of river CEO I think is the podcast name where he said that but yeah they, they human beings the pair of them i hope that tony's got the help he needed i hope to get the help he clearly needs as well based off what we've read in the press so yes we'll see what happens but it looks like it's going to be a 10 month ban but that could change when it's actually confirmed more well Sad news now in the in Spain because Vinicius Junior has praised Sevilla for quickly ejecting a home supporter for xenophobic and racist behaviour and handing them over to the authorities during the club's 1-1 draw on Saturday. Footage emerged from the Roman uh, the Roman Sanchez Pijuan Stadium uh, showing a man and a younger fan making racist gest- gestures towards the Real Madrid forward in the 86th minute of the game. Sevilla confirmed at full time that a fan had been ejected from the ground and will face disciplinary action from the club and it's this kind of action because we had this happen at Valencia uh, I think it might have been earlier this year or certainly last year within the last 12 months I'd say maybe even a little bit further and the punishment that was given to those fans who had clearly offended in the worst way possible racism it wasn't a punishment that fit the crime but now with Sevilla coming out saying that they will face disciplinary action from the club hopefully it's a ban and a punishment that will fit the crime it's got to be a lifetime ban from the stadium it's got to be as severe as that because severe it's severe if it's as severe as that then people who were around this guy at the time might have thought, ah, oh, well, you know, it's our culture. It's, it's not that big of a deal. They'll say it's a big deal and they'll stop doing That's the only way stuff like this is going to change. And of course, I guess the biggest news of the week comes with two deaths, unfortunately, from the world of football. Everton chairman Bill Kenwright, CBE, he passed away yesterday as I'm sat here, recording at the age of 78. In his 19 seasons as chairman of Everton, Everton secured 12 top eight finishes. What would they give for one of those now, including a top four finish? in 2005 a run to the 2009 FA Cup final and European qualification on six separate occasions Ken Wright of course built his fortune in the theatre business and used that fortune to purchase a majority stake in Everton for 20 million pounds in 1999 before selling 68% of the club he owned to Farhad Mashiri in 2016 which is a sad thing because from 2016 onwards, that's largely going to blink uh, Ken Wright's tenure. And again, this is an outsider looking in. So apologies, Everton fans, if I've got the wrong end of the stick here. But me growing up in the 90s, maybe a little bit before my time when I was fully conscious of going, what was going on in football. But Everton, final day escapes... Oh, Sort of bottom end of the table. That was the that, that was the the norm by and large in the nineties. And to see them come as far as they did, especially in the David Moyes, Roberto Martinez, sort of took them on a little bit, but then regressed a bit. Especially to those two managers under Ken Wright's tenure, that was absolutely fantastic stuff. Obviously to see that sort of tarnished since twenty sixteen onwards, as they've pissed away all this money on all these players that just didn't work out. Of course, the club has now been sold to American investment fund Seven Seven Partners. So who knows? That could have been the best part and gift that far. Machiri and Bill Kenright could have done because Kenright was still involved in the football club he used to get lots of abuse when he was sat there in the ground of course it it, it did all go west I do accept that but I think that period of time especially of because obviously Everton were one of the bigger clubs in well they still were one of the bigger clubs I mean one of the most successful clubs in the 80s of course you think Andy Gray being up front and Gary Lineker but he'd go to the 90s when I was growing up and it was a struggle for them in the Premier League and there was a couple of times where relegation was a proper real possibility as it is now as we're sat here in 2023, but that period of time, especially, I want to say from that 0405 season. I know they had a little ups and downs here and there, but up until David Moyes left. Roberto Martinez's first couple of years, that was some good times for Everton fans. As a Newcastle fan, I was sat there looking at some of the stuff they were doing, envious of the success they were having. Uh, Because, you know, Everton and Newcastle are sort of similar stature clubs, I'd say. Obviously, Everton's had a lot more recent success than Newcastle in the 80s and 70s and whatnot. But uh, I used to look on with quite envy at what David Moyes was doing back then. So Bill Kenwright, I think, passed away at the age of 78. He did a proper good job at the Ev until the very end so hopefully that doesn't tarnish his legacy too much and speaking of legacy probably the greatest English footballer of all time passed away this week as well I was on the concourse at St James's Park enjoying a beer at halftime when the news broke on the screens in there so Bobby Charlton passes away at the age of 86 obviously I said this on the live stream that we did last night I was born in Ashington which is where Bobby and Jackie, uh, Jackie Charlton and Jackie Milburn uh, we're all born and raised. I was born in Ashton Hospital, so I had a, like nice kinship, a nice feeling about Bobby Charlton every single time I saw him. Knowing that maybe English is like England's greatest ever player, one of the greatest players the world world's ever seen, most iconic haircut football's ever seen with the comb over which used to fly when he was flying down the pitch towards a goal uh, knowing that came from where I came from there was always that nice warm feeling about Sir Bobby Charlton even though most of his professional career was spent with Manchester United 758 games 249 goals over a 17-year career uh, where he won the European Cup three league titles and the FA Cup he also won 106 caps for England scored 49 goals he won of course the 1966 World Cup played a massive part in doing that as well. He was the linchpin of the midfield, or the attack, you should say, used to break from deep. We all know the goals. He would score left foot, right foot. He could twat the ball as hard with either foot. He was an unbelievable player who you would think would have thrived in many eras of the game. Um, I don't even know who to compare him to in in modern day terms, because I don't think there is that kind of player. Maybe... Maybe it's a bit of Bellingham now. Maybe it's a bit of Bellingham. Maybe Bellingham isn't as direct as what Bobby Charlton was. It's really obviously hard to compare a footballer who retired in the early seventies compared to a footballer who was just really getting going in the early you know twenty twenties. Um, but that's the name that springs to mind when I think of a true modern day player. Maybe Lampard as well. That Lampard was a lot more slower and I guess less dynamic. That's not to say that Lampard wasn't dynamic, but you look at that footage of Bobby Charlton and it was just literally head down, go forwards in a straight line, twat the ball as hard as you can, when you can and score a goal. And of course, Bobby Charlton achieved all of this after the Munich air disaster in 1958, where famously his unconscious body was pulled from the wreckage by teammate Harry Gregg. Obviously, I think eight teammates of Bobby Charlton's died in that uh, horrible, horrible incident there on the runways in Munich, where there was snow on the tarmac and they try to take off and then try to take off again and it all went horribly wrong so not only recur i mean that career without that happening is miraculous but the fact that did happen in 1958 you know eight years later he's win- winning the world cup ten years later he's he's the leader of the rebuilt team who wins the european cup it's a career that will obviously i think never see the likes of again so rest in peace bobby charlton northeast icon manchester united legend one of the greats of the game so it was a pretty sad newsweek in the world of football but of course after the new segment on this year Holden Gear football podcast we go to the highlight of the week which can be only one thing for me and that was from mexico i don't know what team it was all i know is it was in mexico i've seen several tweets i've seen several news articles no one appears to know what the team is so if you do know i know that we do have at least one viewer who is in mexico so if he knows please let me know but halftime entertainment can be a bit hit and miss at football grounds up and down the country over here in england I don't know what it's like in places around the world for the domestic game. But in Mexico, basically, it looks like you have to try and score a goal or maybe get to the goal line from the halfway line while evading a series of, like, an obstacle course. And right at the end of the obstacle course, there's several lads with lassoos who don't hold back. So just search Mexico Lassoos, and you'll see what I'm talking about on Twitter or whatever, whatever social media platform you use, because it's absolutely fantastic. People's lives are in danger for something they signed up for in the name of entertainment, and that is never not funny. People with the lassoos do not care they pretend they're horses they throw the lassoes they hook it around whatever part of body they can get and they pull it as tight as they can as quick as they can and the people go down and it looks like it kills that is what halftime entertainment should be it is absolutely fantastic scintillating viewing but i would feel unless they're signing waivers before this actually takes place a massive legal headache potentially for that football club whatever club it is if you do know let me know in a comment section near you we go on from the highlight of the week of course on the hold and give football podcast to the Darren England and Daniel Cook Memorial twat of the week segment and just before I say who this twat of the week is for this week uh, leading up to October the 25th 2023 I think it's time we introduced a five minute ban I think I saw Bianca Westwood, former Sky Sports um soccer Saturday, you know, Roven reporter, say this on Twitter. It's about time we introduced a five minute sort of like a not it's like a sin bin but it's a care bin because players are getting care for what is potentially a serious instant head injuries. We know what we're talking about here. It's time to introduce a care bin, which is like a sin bin, but instead of just being put in an area and forced to sell the game, you receive care that you actually really need. That'll stop people doing what Zaniolo did for Aston Villa over the weekend, making a mockery of the law, making a a lockery of the football on pitch law. Let's leave the betting alone just in case he gets found out to be you know guilty as well but uh, I think he might be already I might be talking nonsense but you know what I'm trying to say he's seen the what the protocol is for the head injuries on the pitch he's trying to take advantage of that for the sort of advantage of his team which is not in the spirit of the game it's absolutely awful I'm sure every football fan who doesn't support Aston Villa was irate watching what he did at the weekend there so bring in this five minute care bin where you're forced to go through certain things which will stop people pretending because obviously five minutes is a fair portion of the game it'll be down to ten men And that's the only way I think we'll stomp it out the game. So Zaniolo is the twat of the week. Right, we go on to now the Brighton & Hove Albion... Sorry to give it its full title. Welcome to Brighton & Hove Albion fullback, Purvis opinion. What are you talking about? This is the segment where we take a hot take from our listeners and pull it apart or agree with it whatever way we're feeling this one. This week comes to us from Lizzie Stride on Instagram who says Arsenal Wenger's Invincibles were an overrated squad that got lucky. Well... As a Newcastle fan, I went to the game that season when the Invincibles came to St James's Park. It was a nil-nil draw, and Newcastle should have won the game. So I'm solely off the back of that. I'm sure this football fans up and down the country going, "Well, Ross, I was it." Tottenham versus Arsenal that year where they drew Desmond 2-2, I think, at White Lane. and Tottenham should have won that game as well, even though Arsenal won the title at their neighbours. I think that was the same season. Um they'll be saying, yeah, they were lucky there as well. But I'm just saying I've got first-hand experience of Newcastle. I mean, I was what yeah, I was I was twelve years old. Maybe eleven years old. Yeah, I would have been twelve in the August of that after that season. And even I knew back then that Arsenal got lucky. I remember a save that Lehman made on the stretch of off Bellamy at the front post, I think it was. My memory's getting worked overtime here. But yes, I'm not going to say that Arsenal Wenger's Invincibles were overrated because they were an unbelievable team. That was classic Barclays, that Arsenal versus Manchester United feud at that time. The battles they would have, Keane versus Vieira. The managers didn't like each other. Gary Neville was also there, probably speaking like this. Oh, Sylvan Wiltold I'll tackle you really hard. I've made him sound a bit like salad fingers there. But yes, that was the Premier League for me growing up, so I'm not going to say that overrated. That was for my money, even though I think Pep Guardiola and maybe Klopp as well as has taken on the the quality at the very top level to a different level. But that the battles they would have, you just don't get that kind of football anymore. They were not overrated, but just that one game and potentially more. When people leave a comment in the comment section near them, they got lucky at St James's Park and they should have lost the game, and therefore their invincibility. We move on now as we fly through the uh, the hold and give. Uh, uh, football podcast this week we're flying solo it's all one take i hope i'm doing all right i apologize if i'm not we go on to the mailbag which you can get in touch too with by using the email address ross at h-o-l-d-a-n-d-g-i-v-e dot com Greetings, Ross and Jack, but I'll just take off the Jack there. Greetings, Ross, this one starts. My proposal to fix the VAR system, while it's not perfect, might be to follow the cricket approach. Put simply, each game or half, the captain of each team has two objections to the referee to overturn a decision made on the field. This can be against offside calls, red cards, etc. A decision can be overruled if there is is conclusive evidence. Otherwise, the original decision stands. If the captain is successful, They get to retain their objection until the game is over or they have failed two attempts. Let me take a sip of saliva lovely that felt wonderful trickling down the back of my neck and ooh, ooh, ooh. Uh, the way this would work uh, this email continues is that the ref and the linesman will make calls on the field as they see fit because why haven't this <laughs> because why have them at this stage anyways if VAR can do their job once again thank you for the amazing content former west time captain lucas Neal, aka david wells from newcastle new south wales australia i think nsw stands for there. apology apologies if it doesn't but i really like that i think we can make that david's idea and take it to a different level i think you can make it even more immediate by having delegates from the two teams in the game that's a specialist role for liverpool put out a job advert for var watcher on LinkedIn, and they find a specialist who, that is their job, they go to every single game, they sit in the stand, they have access to every single camera in the ground, and they then can go, yes, that call was wrong, and they notify the bench, and the bench can put in an objection to the referee's call. I like the, the rule of two, because you don't want the game stopping and starting for 50, obje- excuse me, 50 objections that aren't right, it just slows the game down and makes things frustrating. But I think having someone in the stand who represents a football club, who can get a, a message right down to the bench straight away, and the bench can notify the referee. Ref, you've got that one wrong. Go and look at the screen where they're shown the full incident from start to finish not like we did at spurs we've said this before on this podcast to show the replay starting where the impact of curtis jones's foot for example was making on basuma shin that's not how it should be they have to show the full incident where they're showing the full incident on the screen and they can make up their own mind and show the mistake they've made but david I'd never even thought of looking at cricket as an influence on football, but in terms of that one to make VAR work for the most egregious stuff that they get wrong, which hopefully shouldn't be happening anymore after what we've heard in recent times, oh it was a breakdown in communication. you have to say goal check completed I can confirm the goal is offside. That's the only issue of AR apparently so hopefully now it's absolutely fixed. next question what game would you most like to see, what game would you most like to see live anytime past or present? Mine would be Australia versus Uruguay on the 15th of November 2005 when John Aliosi, excuse me, scored Aliosi, Aliosi, John scored the penalty to send Australia to the World Cup and that comes to us from Frank Kingston. I mean... Of recent times, Paris Saint Germain at home for Newcastle would have been a nice ticket to get a a nice match to get a ticket for. Hope, hopefully tonight as we're sat here, I do have a ticket to Borussia Dortmund at home. Hopefully, it's very much the same. But if I go back to any game, it would have to be wait for club. It would have to be the 5-0 at home to manchester united that would have been electric to be at that would have been the pinnacle of football that would have been everything you become a football football fantasy when your team is playing football in terms of nationally i would love to have been oh such a hard one internationally i mean the obvious answer is the world cup final who's not going to say that so yeah the world cup final they think it's all over. It is now. You know what I'm talking about. The next question comes to us from Luke Flair. So, Luke Flair, 931 87750 on the X.com machine, who basically asks, lads... There's been a bit of the season gone now. Who are your top four predictions? Just to run you through the current top four in the Premier League. Spurs have played 923 points. Manchester City have played 921 points. Arsenal have played 921 points. Liverpool have played 920 points. Then we've got Villa on 19. Newcastle on 16. Brighton on 16. Man United on 15. West Ham on 14. And Chelsea on on 12, I'm going to lock mine in right now. I can't remember what my top four was at the start of the season, but I do think that the the final league table will be Manchester City top, Arsenal second, Liverpool third. Spurs fourth. I think. I look at that group of teams outside the top four, and every single one of them, apart from Chelsea, are involved in European competition this season. So I think while they are competing on a Thursday night and a Sunday, Spurs this season obviously can just focus on the Premier League, and I think that'll see them through to finish in the top four. Because momentum's a wonderful thing in football, as we all know. You go back to Leicester winning the Premier League; they just kept going and going and going. Everyone saying oh this week they're going to fall off oh this this week they're going away to the Etihad there's no chance they're going to win that then Riyad Mahrez pisses on Manchester City's chips so I think Spurs are looking good I expect Spurs to strengthen a bit more maybe with a centre forward in January even though Son Madison. Charlison's also there, but Sodom sort of and Maddison are doing the business, aren't they? But I still think they're missing a proper goal scorer. I expect them to strengthen in January. I maybe even expect Arsenal to go and get a, a, a goal scorer in January. They've been heavily linked with Ivan Tony, who I think would be a good sign. I, think, I do think Tony is a better finisher a scorer of goals than Gabriel Jesus is maybe Gabriel Jesus's approach work is second to none but when he gets to putting the ball in the back of the net there is something that's still lacking there for me with Gabriel Jesus just watching him in recent times so I think that if Arsenal do strengthen with a centre forward they'll push City very close maybe even Pip City to the title of I think it'll be closer than last season but I do expect City Arsenal Liverpool Spurs to be the top four at the end of of the season and that was the roberto Mail Baggio. if you want to get in contact please do at ross at hold and we do have a little backlog now because i put a call to action out on the twitter machine or the x.com machine this morning and thankfully we had like six replies so i've selected three of there there's a couple of them still to be utilized check back next week to see your uh, question used potentially in the roberto Mail Baggio. so there we go We're coming to the end of the Holding Give Football Podcast. Hopefully it wasn't too boring for you. Hopefully clive will be fitting well next week to come back it's not the same is it when you're sat here just talking to a little hole at the top of your iMac hello little hole how you doing that was a weird sentence to say but yeah hopefully it was all right let me know any critiques keep it kind though in the comment section near you you can get this podcast on spotify apple podcasts it's on the acast feed it's up and everywhere it's on the youtube of course at youtube.com forward slash at hold and give those are the words not the ants the ant signal like the bat signal but for the word and And i guess i'll wrap it up there hopefully newcast united win tonight and my day has been as good as this podcast has gone for a one take thing but i have been ross from hold and give thank you for listening hopefully we'll return to our regular regular scheduled broadcast next week all the best clive i'll see you all very soon indeed goodbye everybody